This morning, I want to begin a new sermon series entitled, Questions for God. And I want to thank all of you who sent in your questions on Facebook and through our website and you wrote them down. You sent in hundreds and hundreds of questions. And we took the time, Reverend Wendy Lambert and I sat down and we began going through them, trying to clump them together and see, did they sort of revolve around certain questions? What were the things that were most being asked by the members of this family of faith? And we finally brought them together into seven questions. And though you may read the questions and think yours isn't exactly being addressed, chances are it will show up in one of those questions that is being discussed. It was fascinating. Some of the questions you ask are the questions that have been asked down through history by all the saints. People have been asking these questions for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then there are the questions that I did not anticipate. In fact, the question that was the most asked was, will I see my pet in heaven? I'm having to work on that one to see what the church has historically said about that. And I'll be addressing that subject next week when we discuss uh, what is heaven like. I thought this was really a great idea for this sermon series. I was really excited about it until I started looking at all the questions you were asking and I started trying to write sermons on how to say things. And then I realized this is going to be tough. And then I started thinking, whose idea was this anyway? It wasn't mine. It was another pastor who I'm glad is going to have to answer some questions too. No, these really are difficult questions that you have been asking. And let me just say what we're trying to do here. With these questions, there are no answers, just definitively black and white, one answer. It's why people have asked them down through the centuries. No, what we intend to do is to go through and to wrestle with the question and And I hope to be able to answer it as honestly as we possibly can to tell you what we believe. But at the same time, you're a Methodist. You have the freedom to think. And it's okay if you disagree. It's okay if you agree. What I simply hope will happen each day is each Sunday when we come and look at one of these questions is it will cause you to think. I hope that it generates conversation around the lunch table on a Sunday afternoon. I hope it causes you to think when you get together on a Monday morning for your devotional life. If it causes you to think and you wrestle, then you'll be growing in your faith. And that's really all that we can hope and we ha- that happens. So, we decided we'll tackle them each week the best we can. This week, we're going to look at the question, why do bad things happen? Certainly a question that has been asked over and over again. And we will only finally have that answer when you and I stand before the face of God and get to ask that question ourselves. As I started to work on this sermon, I went back to two books that I read 30 to 40 years ago. As I was just starting out in my ministry, and I was already having to wrestle with why are these bad things happening to wonderful people. And these two books influenced my thinking as my theology began to develop through the years. The first book was called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, by John Claypool. John Claypool was a Southern Baptist preacher. He was living in Louisville, um, Kentucky. He was pastor of the Crescent Hill Baptist Church. It was a large, large church. This was back in the 50s and the 60s. John Claypool died about 10 years ago. 
But it was back during the 50s that he had a daughter, Laura Lou. And Laura Lou was a wonderful young girl. She was in the second grade, eight years old. She had had a, a day where she had had a concert for her violin. And then she also had a ballet recital that night. It was an incredibly full day. And when she got up the next morning, she was so sore and hurting. And they just kind of assumed it was because of the schedule she'd been keeping for violin and ballet and all that she was doing. But it seemed to be getting worse. They took her to Children's Hospital. They ran some tests. And what they came back with three days later was she had leukemia. Leukemia in the 1950s was able to be dealt with, or 1960s actually, was being dealt with in a very different way than we can deal with it today. They put her on some medicine and it immediately put her disease into remission. That was a wonderful thing. The next nine months, Laura Lou really kind of came back to the, her old self. And then it was on Easter Sunday morning when the cancer came back with a vengeance. It came back to where she woke up that morning and her eyes were swollen, her joints were swollen. She was in incredible pain. They would rush her to the doctor. They put her on a second medicine and it too pushed the disease into remission but for a shorter period of time. And when it started to come back again, they tried a third and a fourth and a fifth and none seemed to work. When it got to the Christmas of that year, Laura Lou wanted it to be special. She was in great pain and she tried so hard to make it just right. But when Christmas was through, that life spirit seemed to fade. And it was in January that year that Laura Lou, 18 months and 10 days after she was diagnosed, passed away at 10 years old. It was out of that experience of losing his daughter, losing a child, that John Claypool found himself not on the side of being a preacher, but being a human being, struggling with why. Why did this happen? Second book I read was When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Harold Kushner. He had a son, Aaron. Aaron was three years old. He did not seem to be putting on weight, did not seem to be growing. They had been taking him to the doctors. They lived in New York. They took him to all kinds of doctors and no one could come up with what was going on. He got reassigned to a congregation up in Boston and they settled in Boston. And two months later, they had been going to specialists there who looked at children's genetic diseases and it was on that day, two months later, that his wife was giving birth to a daughter, their second child, and she was in the hospital when the doctor came by to say that their child had um, progeria. It is the aging disease, the very strange disease where your body is suddenly growing old so quickly. It is a horrible disease. They said, your son will never grow to be more than three feet tall. He will lose all of his hair. He'll begin to have features distorted. And he will die as an early teen. And that's exactly what happened. He died when he was 14 years old, never growing more than three feet tall. It was an incredibly difficult time. And it led this rabbi to struggle with the question of, of why? 
I went back to read both of those books as I got ready for the sermon series, A Rabbi and a Preacher, Both Losing a Child. The scripture that I turned to and wanted us to look at today was Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter. Because for me, one of the key passages that I always lean on is when Paul would write and say, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's with these three things that I want us to struggle with the question this morning. It seems to me that when you and I are confronted with why bad things happen, we tend to say four things. Four different reasons we give, four things that we tend to believe or we share with other people. And probably the first one we all say is, well, it's God's will. If God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing, something bad happens, it's God's will. We're supposed to accept it. We do not question it. We simply accept and say, this is the way that it is supposed to be. When you believe that God causes everything that happens, and it is God's will, it is easy to say to a parent who has lost a child, God needed another angel, and that's why he took your child. I would encourage you not to say that. That's incredibly painful to parents. I understand what you're trying to say. You're trying to bring comfort by really saying, I really believe that your child is in heaven, is in God's care, and is healed and whole. I believe you'll see your child again. Say those things. But not that God wanted your child more than you do and took your child. No, there are other ways to think about why a child may die like that. Leslie D. Weatherhead was another one of the great people that I read 30, 40 years ago. Very little book entitled The Will of God. We're going to spend a whole Sunday on dealing with just the will of God. But he talks about when he was in India years ago. He was there with a friend and his son, a baby, had just died of cholera. And Leslie was standing there beside the crib with his friend, with the son who had died. And his friend simply said, Leslie, it is the will of God. We must accept it. And Leslie said, if there was a man who one night slipped up the stairs into your room, slipped into your child's room here beside his crib and had a rag full of cholera germs and put it on your child's face, and your child now has developed cholera and died, what would you do? And this father said, I would hunt that man down and I would kill him with my own bare hands. How could you suggest a thing? And Leslie said, isn't that what you just said about God? Didn't you just put God in that exact same place? If we want to ask why did your child die, maybe we should talk about sanitation and the lack of it here in India. Maybe we should talk about how much money we spend on guns and missiles and how little we spend on research for cholera. There are many reasons we could say why your child died of cholera. Do we have to say it was God who willed it? 
There are other ways to think about that. Second thing we tend to say, well, maybe you don't see it right now, but this is a part of God's big plan. Now, you know, that answer has some real appeal to it because it goes along with our scripture this morning. Another one of my favorite lines is when Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I believe that with my whole heart. But understand, Paul didn't say that everything that happens is caused by God, nor did he say that everything that happens is good. Paul simply says, all things, all things can work together for good of those who love the Lord. That the things that happen, well, God can help you to deal with and gain something from it. Both Kushner and Claypool would say that as they lived through their child's suffering and death, that in the end it made them a far more compassionate pastor, more understanding, one who would listen more. They said we are better pastors for having lived through this. However, they said we would all gladly give up everything that we have learned in order to have our child back. Sometimes you don't get that choice. And when we don't get that choice, it is God's grace that helps us to deal with those most difficult moments of life and still get something from it. Quite often people will talk about the idea of a tapestry. The idea if you see a tapestry made out of beautiful um, threads, you can look at it from one side and see this beautiful picture. But if you flip it around, you'll see a tapestry and you see all these threads. Some are short, some are long. All these knots are tied. It looks like a mess. Then people will say, see, that's what it is to us. We don't get to see the big picture with God. It looks like a mess. But in God's eyes, there is the big picture and it all makes sense. Part of that is good. Part, if you're not careful, really leads you to predestination. And I have to just tell you, I... I'm not a big fan of John Calvin. I tend to be a follower more of John Wesley. John Wesley believed more in free will and not predestination. If you're not careful, you start saying from early on in your life, it's all already determined. All those things that will happen, they're already determined. Another way to look at it, though, is things happen. And God helps us then wrestle with all the things that happen so that we keep learning from them and gaining from them, and God keeps leading us into a future of hope. Not that they were predetermined, but God uses those things so that all things can work together for good of those who love the Lord. The third thing that we'll say is the reason bad things happened, well, you're being punished for your sins. This was the understanding in Jesus' day and certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Scripture, if you go back and read the Bible, the Bible tends to say very clearly, the righteous will be blessed and the the wicked will be punished. You do good things, you're going to have good things happen to you. God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and God who is just will bless you and if you don't do righteous, then you will be punished. And so people have struggled with that. Is that really the case that we see that always happens? Have you ever seen the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? 
I have. To say that you're going to be always punished for your sins? Kushner and Claypool both looked at that and said, was God punishing me by taking my child's life, by making my child suffer? Was God punishing me for my sins? Was God punishing my child, my innocent child, born with this genetic disease? Or my eight-year-old daughter? Was God punishing them for their sins? You know, when the bombing happened here in Oklahoma City, I received a call from a friend who said, Bob, is God punishing Oklahoma City for some sort of bad things y'all are doing? Bad happened. Obviously, God must be punishing you. There was all the stories of the people who for some reason didn't show up at work that day, weren't in the building, and we say God was with them, God blessed them. But what about the people who died? 168 people. Do we say God was punishing them? All the children in the nursery? That they had done evil? The other people had done good? Is it possible to say God was with all the people that day? That maybe evil happened, not because God willed it, but because Timothy McVeigh willed it? That a person made a choice rather than it being God? I've been watching all the newscasts with the floods that are going on. These tragic stories of families together and houses being swept away and all these people dying. And the answer is, well, it was God's will. They must have sinned. Are they being punished? Is that what we really speak to the families? I have seen the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. I have a feeling you have too. The fourth thing we tend to say when bad things happen is everything happens for a reason. And again, I understand the appeal of that statement. Because what we've discovered is that when we suffer, if there is meaning, if there's a reason, it helps you to bear it. You can bear suffering if there's a reason. A woman goes through childbirth. Ah, she suffers. It is difficult. But there's a reason. She's giving birth. She's giving life. And she's willing to suffer again. There is meaning. You know, I've been told that Truly, the only thing a male can understand that is close to the pain of childbirth is a kidney stone. And I can tell you that when I was curled up in the fetal position in bed, unable to speak to Marcia because I had a kidney stone, I found no meaning in that moment. It's been hard to find a reason. And I got to tell you, I haven't signed up for that one again. No, if there is meaning in the reason you suffer you can endure if there's not then that is hard to do and so we say well everything happens for a reason but it really puts you in an interesting bind and what is the reason because you're being punished for your sins because there's a greater picture you don't understand because it is God's will Harold Kushner tells about a lady in his congregation her name was Helen 
she came home one day and she stumbled into the house. She was a mom, married, young kids, wasn't that old. Her husband started teasing her, boy, you can't handle a few sips of wine. But she thought something else is going on. She went to the doctor and it turned out she had MS. This too was back in the 60s. They didn't have a lot they could do then. And the doctor just began laying it out. You're going to lose control of your legs. You're going to lose control of your arms. You're going to be confined to a wheelchair. He just painted this horrible picture of the future. And she began to be angry at God. This isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? And as she got angry at God, her husband started saying, you can't speak to God that way. This is God's will. We have to accept it. I mean, you know everything happens for a reason. And she was going, I don't get it. She found herself in that place where either she was angry at God because this wasn't fair. I have been good. I've been a good wife and husband. I go to temple. This isn't supposed to happen. Or she found herself feeling guilty. Maybe I hadn't been perfect. Maybe I haven't been a good enough mom, a good enough wife. You feel guilty. It's your fault it's happening. Or you get angry at God because you know it's not fair. Kushner and Claypool both came to the end of their struggles and said, we can find no good reason. We do not see a reason. And we've decided that asking the question, why do these bad things happen, is the wrong question to ask. Is it possible that there is another way to look at this? You know, right now our insurance companies are sure coming out a whole lot about these floods. It's an act of God. The acts of God. Tornadoes happen. Acts of God. You know, I never have liked that term. I do believe God is our creator. He is the one who is brought into this beautiful world. And there are wonderful laws of nature like gravity that make this world work. That you and I can walk and build a house or drive a car. Gravity is so critical. But because there is gravity, if something falls on me, it will kill me. And I am so grateful that there is rain because it waters the earth and the crops grow and I'm able to drink. And yet sometimes the rains come so much that there are floods and innocent people dying. Instead of the laws of uh, acts of God, can it not be an act of nature? That things happen because of the laws of nature and the way the world was created? I do believe in free will, much like John Wesley. I believe in free will, just like in the story of the prodigal son, where the son comes to the father and says, give me everything that is mine. And the father gives it to him, and he goes off into a foreign country, and there he squanders it and makes a mess out of his life. He was free to make a mess out of his life. Jesus said the father didn't hold him home. He can go. Is it not possible that God has given us life and you have the ability to go and in free will make good decisions or poor decisions? Decisions that hurt people? That there are other people out there who make very bad decisions and they drive while they are drunk and they shoot guns. A bullet does not have a conscience. No, in our freedom, so many people can make decisions that cause great pain. 
I do not believe those are God's will. No, to use the first four answers, you have to say God causes everything that happens. And that is one way to look at it. But the another way to look at it is there are random things that happen in the universe. Through the laws of nature, through the freedom of will of people, the question becomes, can you accept the randomness of the universe? Or do you find it more comforting to think that God controls everything at every moment? The question of why. These two men wrestled with that and they finally said, asking the question why is the wrong question. The question we need to be asking is, what do we do now that it has happened? And they both came up with two answers. First thing is to realize nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the midst of all the struggles and the grief and the bad things that happen, nothing can separate us from the love of God. C.S. Lewis, you remember the great British writer, he came to faith later in his life and he didn't get married until he was 50 and he married Joy Davidson, a lady of faith, and she was the joy of his life and then she developed cancer and within three years she died. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled A Grief Observed. And in the book he says, in the beginning I found that my faith was of no value. It didn't seem to do what I wanted it to do. And he said, then as time went on I realized I had brought the wrong expectations to the situation through my faith. I had expected my faith to protect me from all the bad things that could happen. I expected it was my faith that could make everything right. And he said, then I came to realize death was a part of life. And one day, at some time, we will all walk through that door. Faith was not supposed to protect me from all bad things. No, my faith gave me strength and peace in the midst of the difficult storm. It was my faith that gave me hope in the face of death. So neither of us had to be afraid. John Claypool would say, I discovered that the promise of Isaiah was true. When Isaiah said, they who wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And John said, let me tell you, I didn't mount up with wings like eagles. And I didn't run. The miracle was that I was still on my feet. That God gave me the strength not to faint. To put one foot in front of the other. And when I stopped trying to struggle with all these questions of why and saying it's God's will and feeling angry at God or feeling like I had done something wrong, when I experienced God's grace and knew His presence, I suddenly discovered God was working in my life in wonderful ways all around me. 
through a family of faith, through friends who comforted me, through things that would happen with Laura Lou, I saw God at work when I changed the expectation of what my faith would do. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our faith is not to protect us. Our faith sustains us in the most difficult of times. But the second thing they both discovered was life is a gift. Life is a gift. And we need to be grateful for life now and life eternal. Live in gratitude for life. Again, John Claypool tells about how when he was a young boy, it was during the time of World War II. During World War II, there was a next-door neighbor, a young couple, and this man got drafted. And the wife was going to go back and live with her parents while her husband went off in service. And so John's parents said, why don't you store all your furniture in our basement while you're gone? And so they put all their furniture in the basement, and they left, but they also left a washing machine. And John said, we didn't have a washing machine. And since I was a young boy, it was my responsibility to go out there with a tub and fill it full of water with a washboard and help to scrub the clothes. But before they left, this couple said, why don't you use the washing machine? It'll be better for water to be in there so that the rubber doesn't begin to crack and and dry rot. And he said, suddenly we had a washing machine and I got to tell you, it changed my life. I love that washing machine. It was two years before the war ended and this young man came home and his wife came back and they got all their furniture and they took the washing machine back home. And John said, when they did, I was mad. He said, I was mad. What were they thinking? He said, I told everybody how angry I was that they took that washing machine. He said, I'll never forget. My mother sat me down and she said, John... We never owned that washing machine. It was a gift. And we were able to use it for two years. And you can either be grateful for the gift that we had, or you can be so angry now that they took it back home. It was a gift. And John said, I realized when I looked at my daughter that she was a gift. And I could either be grateful for all the wonderful memories we made and the time we had, or I could be so angry at all the memories we had been deprived of making. And if I spent my life being angry over all that I would miss, I would descend into depression, and I would never be able to have God heal my life. And so I've learned to live in a spirit of gratitude, knowing life is a gift, And I will always give thanks for the time that I have had and the memories I have made. When you live in gratitude, it does not stop the pain. It does not ignore the fact that there was pain. But it will not let you descend into depression and despair. When you live out of a spirit of gratitude for the gift that you have received, it will help you to experience the presence of Christ in your life now. Because the truth is, all things can work together for good of those who love the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ 
it will not protect us from those dark days. But it will promise that there will be an Easter. And that is why you and I are the people of hope. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.